this is Dag, and you're listening to Beyond Trek Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Beyond Trek Podcast. We're here today to talk to you about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Episode 5, Spock Amuck. We've been getting a lot of Amuck titles recently. I can count two in the last six months. This we is... have been. Come on, I'm going to talk about this one. Sorry, I'm all lotioned <laughs> up and ready to go. Oh, With that in, that in mind, this is your spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Guys, this is hands down probably like top three episodes of all time for me of over over eight hundred episodes. This this episode had equal parts charm, wit, diplomacy. I I was all over it from beginning to end. This it had episode it all. was everything I've wanted from Star Trek for a while now, right? It felt like part of the story was lower decks, part of the story was the highlight of diplomacy. And it was just overall just such a fun story. We even had a Freaky Friday in it. So yeah. good. <laughs> so this this is yeah. this is like the quintessential TOS episode. Like best episode pre twenty two sixty nine. Hands yeah. down for me. And it's, it's one of those episodes where they're they're in one place, docked at space dock. You can do things with the other characters. It was great. Now Baggy said top three. Yeah. yeah, you know, I might have to go conservative and say top five. Okay. I mean, it's it's great, very good, but oh, two more episodes. Yeah, I'm. Well, I enjoyed it. I mean, I thoroughly just enjoyed it. I laughed my ass off too. Man, I know we're I'll gonna just, go ahead. I'm just we're gonna get into the episode rundown in a second, but I just want to yeah. put this out there. This episode is very much a flip in what I expected from Star Trek. It was going back to this whole like humorous, funny kind of standpoint, which I didn't expect. And it was the exact opposite of what I expected with the Orville, which also had its premiere this week, which had a very serious, somber first episode for its third season. Yeah. So that flip for me was a delight. I got what I didn't expect from both shows. So great time. It was, all it was an emotional roller coaster that day. Yeah. Overall, great time for both both shows. So. Yeah, I. This, from from the beginning of this episode. Like all the way to the end, and then just some stuff, some some of the quotes, the characterizations. I've heard a lot of people who are classic Trek fans who have said that they're disappointed with the reimagination of certain characters. But I am oh, all on. for it. I'm all for it. I've heard people whining about like Nurse Chapel being bi, for which I am here for. I've heard people whining about uh, Spock being far too sexual in this show, and I'm like. So he's a younger Spock than what we saw. Were you not younger when you were horny? Right? Like, these things kind of go along. <laughs> I'm were sure. You not hunger, were you not younger when you were horny? Those people, <laughs> those poor not horny people anymore. <laughs> well, but, and as we all know, there are going to be complaints among Trek beards. It does not matter what the show does, who's in it nothing oh, yeah. you can't do anything make them all happy and i'm sure you were listening through some of the complaints on the re-characterization i think you missed two now I, I i'm gonna guess here haven't read any of it but i'll know it gonna guess we've got an issue with robert april being man of color and issue with uh kyle being asian those came up on the first episode of this season <clears throat> for sure but so I, yeah yeah. The stuff that the stuff the stuff the conversations I've had have had no problem with April or Kyle. And 
you know, quite frankly, April only ever appeared in one episode of a quasi-canon series. And, uh, right, of the animated series, yeah. They're, 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 Kyle, it can be more than one person named Kyle. It's not like a huge difference to me. It's like nine years before, you know, TOS, whatever. Working the same station. Don't care. I know. <laughs> Maybe he had one of those gene therapies and it just kind of stuck accidentally. They couldn't get rid of it. Who yeah. cares? It doesn't really matter. Isn't it That's weird a, that I'm there's out. like a genetically engineered megalomaniac and a super brilliant cyberneticist and they're all Nuni and Sung Sing whatever? I know, right? <laughs> no, right, so no, the, the issue that, 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 I, that was brought up was the characterization of Chapel as a far more um, profligate person. Real, I don't, I don't know the meaning of that word, but through context, I think yes. So Is that a word? Who's a lot yes. more um, assertive and realized as a character because in TOS, Chapel was just relegated to the background as a nurse, and it was the 1960s, and that's what they did. That's what it was She's in the sixties. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm all about this headstrong. You know, this is gonna hurt. She's uh, more three dimensional. Nurse, um, I totally dig it. Yeah, it's yeah. also like she's taking on some of the characterizations that we saw for Kirk in the original series, right? Like, she doesn't want to get into a settled relationship. She makes that really clear to the dude that Lieutenant Devers that she had met up with once or twice. Mm -hmm. He's like, "Me should maybe make this series," and she's like, "Ah." Goodbye. <laughs> it's, it's kind of I'm like just deuce right out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of what people mischaracterize Kirk as, right? But this time we're mm -hmm. seeing it from a female character, and suddenly people are pissy about it. I wonder what that has to do with. All right, so let's get to the actual episode itself. We open this episode with basically a reenactment of a muck time, uh, the original <laughs> TOS episode. We get our Kunut Khalifi scene. We get the music replayed, and it was gorgeous. When they started playing the music, I said, oh, no, they didn't. I was so happy. So a, a, a music specialist hopped into a thread and said that the, re, the remastering of this music in, for this episode was to the tab or to the chord, spot yeah. on with the original. Yeah, the whole scene was really well shot, right? Like, mm -hmm. they, they even had the Lirpas out. They skipped the Unwounds, which were the silly whip-like rope things. Uh, and it, it just echoed a lot of the scenes from the original Amok Time. Even where a uh, human Spock gets slashed along the chest and we can see some red blood on him is exactly the same place where Kirk gets slashed by Spock in Amok Time. Mm -hmm. It was just a really well done scene that shows particularly this nightmare of Spock's that he's too human for his bride to bring. Okay. So that's a deep-seated fear that we've heard of Spock and from Spock many times at this point. Well, look so. at the grab. It, hearing the music like if boom within two minutes of the episode hooked and dragged in 100 miles per hour because i didn't it's like are we really hearing this this is great this show just does it all okay sorry another thing that yep. i really liked is to pring's headdress here it is very much reminiscent of the elder from star trek the motion picture who is giving spock his whatever in yeah the uh, the colonar I can't remember if it's a necklace or a pendant or what they called it, but it, it, it has a flair like that. So it, I really it does go around your neck. So it was like a necklace slash pendant. Yeah, I necklace I just with a pendant on it. Really appreciate the. I don't know. Not, not, uh, Attention to detail. The reference there. Did anyone else have Cable Guy playing on their head during the scene? Yeah, have you seen it, right? Jim Carrey, Matthew Project. No, I mean, this scene has been reused in so many things. Like, there's a SpongeBob episode that references it, right? Like, it Are you comes kidding? up everywhere. No. Wow. 
Yeah, but so it's really cool seeing like a human version of Spock. We see the rounded ears, we see the normal eyebrows. He got a bit of facial scruff too, like it just looked more normal. And then we get the super Vulcan version of Spock as well. And they have this duel. And in the end, it looks like human Spock loses, which kind of makes sense because Vulcans are a lot stronger than humans. And Spock wakes up in his bed, freaked out. and he Captain Archer has entered the chat. Yeah, well, he had a cotra in him at the time. But no, uh, so he touches his ears to make sure he's still Vulcan, and, you know, he confirms his ears are still pointed and the whole thing, just to be sure. We get a science officer's log. Again, another good callback to classic TOS and TNG, where we get an officer's log every episode. Yep. Um, and we're told that they're returning to Starbase 1 uh, for negotiations on a diplomatic matter is what they're what the what calls it specifically uh and he's going to have to pray and meet up with him there as just like a little while i'm at space dock you can come over and say hi kind of thing which is nice it kind of makes sense we see other characters do that in other shows as well so uh in the middle of his doing this log entry though uh there's a chime at his door and he's just spent a couple moments like prepping the room moving some glasses around redecorating a little bit and uh she comes in to bring is at the door and they do this whole thing that we've heard before the parted for me but never parted etc it's very good references and then they kiss cool cool uh she looks around the room and goes hmm this is a very human room and adjusts things back that he had just moved and uh spock gives this kind of weak defense of like oh uh i'm redecorating uh uh and then she's like oh i retract my criticisms until you're done right that like Vulcan passive aggressive sarcasm is delicious in every scene with the two of them. It is. I love their banter back and forth. Mm -hmm. And we know that Vulcans, they do have a sense of humor. It's their own kind of flavor of humor, but I'll be damned if I wasn't laughing at the stuff they were doing. It was like funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, we see every Vulcan in Star Trek has had some crack of emotions or some crack of, like, sarcasm or something. Mm -hmm. Even Tuvok, which is, like, super Mr. Analytical Vulcan, has, like, real snide, sarcastic comments that he lets out every now and then, especially at poor Neelix. So, yeah, we... Vulcans have a sense of humor. It's just not a human sense of humor. Uh, so we get this little bit of plot from, from T'Pring here where she explains that she's here for work, too, and so is her colleague, Katil, uh, they're there to investigate someone named Barjan Taor, uh, who's been reported in the area, and uh, he was responsible for some major uprisings, so the Vulcan authorities are after him. And uh, they talk about how they have to prioritize spending time together, that their duties are important, but spending time together and understanding each other is very important for this whole thing. Uh, so they will have dinner that night, is where that scene is. Yeah, I... Um... I got the impression from that conversation that Barjan was like those uh, emotional Vulcans from Enterprise. The starts with an S. I can't remember what they're called, but whatever. Not important. Cyranites. Um, so, uh, just that and... Vitash Couture. That's what he is. Okay. That yeah, might that's... be... Cyranites were the religious group that believed that Serac's whole vision could be... Was different than what the government believed but yeah okay you're right um so yeah no it was definitely interesting to see an emotional vulcan and i'm like give me cyborg give me cyborg 
I really don't want Cyclops. I hated the character in the movie. I thought he was lame. I thought his whole like mind control trick was a little bogus. I just did not find the character. You, interesting. you therapy resistant wimp. That's all Cyborg uh, was. He was like space psychiatrist. That's it. He never fair. hurt anybody except he took over his ship and probably got a lot of people killed and you know ended up sacrificing himself and stuff. But you know we can overlook all of that for the space. Yeah, therapy. he was a boring he is, villain. He was a space psychiatrist, but he was also out of network. So that's probably out of so network. <laughs> all right. So our next scene is in the conference room. Where we've got Pike, Spock, Uhura, and Admiral April back again. So he's going to be our like Nechev or Ross of the show, which is great. We have a recurring Admiral. Uh, and he's explaining the importance of the Rongovian Protectorate. In that they're small, but they're kind of in between Vulcan, or sorry, Romulan, Klingon space and the Federation. So they're an important route to get out to the rest of the Beta Quadrant. Cool. Uh, that gives us some interesting context for the geography of things. I like that a lot. Um, and then the map here too. Yeah, the map is good actually. Like that's a map I can't object to, unlike the other one that they showed yeah. in SMW. Uh, well, what's really interesting is, is sure you see Kronos, you see Verapente. Um, one thing that I really really like is they call it the Mempa sector. And does anybody remember Mempa? I know isn't, the name. I know the name. Isn't that the one where the Klingon like augment virus started? No, that was Kuvat, wasn't it? So Mempa was a battle at which Galron fought, or not Galron, Martok fought, and when um, when O'Brien, when in, in, in Apocalypse Rising, when they infiltrated the whole cool ceremony as Klingons, um, the, the, the Martok infiltrator recognized O'Brien, and I, I know I've seen you somewhere, and O'Brien was like, we must have fought together, and, and he's like, Mempa? Yes, Mempa, how did you know? That must be it. So cool well the thing i noticed that i thought was pretty cool is there's also some references to non-canon things in this map too yeah so there's a planet on the right there called balduk b-a-l-d-u-k yeah. it's actually the name of like a planet and a race that cause issues in in like beta canon they they show up as being like klingon uh rebels they retake their own little area and they cause some problems for the klingons and the federation nearby so yeah, I can still see the Bamoth is here, and the Bamoth was a ship in DS9, if I recall correctly. Uh, Hatoria is mentioned, and a really, really, really important one in the next sector over from Rongovia, Narendra. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a great map. Like yeah. this is this is a good quality map. Like I don't have complaints about this one. I can do it the other for sure. All right. Uh, so, anyways, uh, April shows Pike some footage of how their negotiation went with the Tellarites. And we hear some really interesting insults from the Rongovian ambassador there. He says that your beard is almost as ridiculous as this offer, etc. Like, good. It's definitely a very Tellarite-ish negotiation tactic, right? Which comes up later in the episode again. It's a lot like how we saw uh, Archer having to insult the Tellarites during their negotiations as well. Very plays off on that same vein very well. Uh, they talk a little bit further about how the Rongovian negotiations have always been kind of limited, but now they're here and they're here to talk. And that's when a surprise comes in from La'an saying that the Rongovians are here, ready to talk now. And uh, April, it's that they would start negotiations tomorrow. So they get allowed in. Uh, they are very curt as they walk in. 
uh, and kind of mirroring the behavior of La'an, whom we know is a very curt individual. So that's kind of more telling as to their behavior and where it comes from. Uh, so they start talking, and uh, April April tries to be the first person to talk to them. Uh, the Rungovians are immediately like, we will only talk to Pike. And so Pike does his usual, like, very friendly demeanor, approaches them, and they start mirroring that. They start being very chill with him. Uh, it's this very kind of, like, playing off of his energy thing. Again, it's a theme for these for this race that we're going to hear more about. Uh, it's a little confusing as a viewer, because you just saw them behaving one way, then another way, and then now the third way. So it's it should be putting your, your hair standing on end. You should be trying to figure it out. And I think that they did a really good job uh, with hinting at what it was. Uh, they say that they themselves are a race of uh, listeners, and they are very empathic as part of like their behavior. Uh, so it's a new thing for them to understand new people. They try to be empathetic towards their views. <clears throat> cool. Uh, they also bring up the whole aspect of Spock being a Vulcan, and isn't it kind of difficult having your voice your voice diluted in the cacophony of voices of the federation it's a very interesting subject that we've talked about on this podcast before and it's one of those like big questions of like the risks of joining the federation fashion to our next oh, fashion ahead. note just an upgrade of that green wraparound that kirk used to wear in uh in, T in, in tos so thank you for bringing that up thought it yeah was a cool it's upgrade. a it is he's got a little bit of weird like shiny pleather bits on the shoulder pads and on the arms but overall the thing looks great he wears it well one thing i love about this show that has totally made the the uniforms because they're very evocative of tos the uniforms but one thing that makes them really stand out and just gives them that little touch of perfection is shoulder pads they didn't have those in tos so the shoulder pads definitely provides an air of formality that tos otherwise lacked yeah, we saw those same shoulder pads on the Discovery uniforms too, which I really liked. So yeah, it's a good blending of the Discovery-esque uniform, which we see in my background here with uh, Admiral April uh, doing it at versus the rest of the Enterprise crew, which have the more TOS-like uniforms. Alright, so cut to Ortegas and Chapel arriving at Sick Bay, looking for Mbenga, telling him that he's got to go to his shore leave. They are very pushy and reminding him that uh, he's got his meeting that he's got to do with Dr. Baroa. Uh, we don't really know much about that. We don't learn much about that. But interesting that, you know, Dr. Bega has a life off the ship, too. Good background to build. Uh, Ortegas, on the other hand, is asking about Lieutenant Deaver, whom Chapel has been involved with for some time, and they have to meet up. And here's where she explains her whole view on relationships about being casual, no attachments, just for fun, zero commitments cool very very cool view not something that we see too much of in star trek really uh but it's a it's a breath of fresh air from her character and she has this casual demeanor when explaining it that i really like to uh ortegas notes that uh this is more than just like once that she's done this too and chapel reveals that she had the same thing happen to her with a woman on argelius too so that's the whole like by reveal on her character which is great oh, yeah. during pride very welcome yeah uh so there's a bit of an explanation that that was a misunderstanding but yeah so at that point Mbenga steps out they head out to the transporter room 
And at the transporter room, they run into Una and La'an, who are supervising the departing crew and, like, checking names off the lists of you can go, you're gone type of thing. Very uh, officious kind of thing. Uh, and we get some fun made of Mbenga because of his nice hat, which was a very goofy fishing hat. Yes, it was. And uh, Mbenga says something about a nickname in that moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to which... Uh, Ortegas and Chapel both look at him being like, shut up, dude, what are you doing? She's right there. Uh, at which point uh, Una starts really pushing for it, demands to know what they're talking about, and they reveal that her nickname is Where Fun Goes to Die. Which is an interesting nickname for a senior officer. Uh, cool. But the yeomans don't know what they're talking about, because if they did, they wouldn't be yeomans. A fair point, right? <laughs> Uh, at that point, uh, Una starts getting a little pissy and tells Chief Kyle to energize. Um, and then she starts asking Kyle about the nickname. Nope. Uh, never, never, uh, never heard of it. Nope. Never. A very blatant lie. I love this whole subplot here. It was a good time. I love his uniform. I want one. He's got the cool uniform. They all have really cool uniforms, but I think his is very much like Cadet Transporter Chief style thing, which is cool. Yeah, his looks legit. I really like the look of them too. I like the fact that there are multiple uniforms on the ship for different duties, right? Like not everybody's gonna wear the exact same thing. It fits for me. You see different uniforms on modern naval vessels too, depending on where people are working, what their jobs are. Yeah. So. All right, so Spock returns back to his quarters. He apologizes to Pring about the unexpected start of the negotiations. They came early, which is kind of a problem. Uh, and she's like, okay, well, you're not making the proper sacrifices. Sacrifices are important in relationships. And uh, she kind of just dismisses him because he should prepare for his important work and then she's gone. Kind of like yeah. a bit of a callback to the Tepring that we saw back in Amok time where she was much more this like beautiful no bullshit kind of character whereas she's been much sweeter in the past of scenes with Swak. Here she was much more like, I don't have time for you, kind of thing. Yeah. If you're not going to make time for me. Well, so. and she had made dinner and everything, too. Yeah, it, it was nice. Uh, so here's where we finally get the intro scene for the show. 15 minutes into the episode, which I think is pushing it too much at this point. Uh, and we cut back to Starbase 1, where Chapel is meeting with Lieutenant Deaver. Uh, she's kind of hinting, like, dude, why are we even here? Let's just go to back to your quarters and fuck. Or let's just go. Let's go. <laughs> this is a waste of time. Did you notice Jeez. that the chapel has three scars on her arm? Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure if those are the actresses and just left there or if that is indicative of some kind of a history that we'll get to know later. I missed question. that. Yeah, I noticed them, but I didn't make any, I didn't think of it much at all. I thought it was just an actress thing. But you're right, it could be something character related. Yeah. Uh, we also get mention of a USS Skylark. That's the ship that Deavers works on. And Deavers is very much like, well, let's talk about our relationship. And let's talk about, like, and you can she's transfer like, mine, or I can transfer yeah. to yours. And the sound goes out as she's hearing this, right? Like, she is zoning out because that's not, not what she wants to hear. attention. Yep. And she abruptly interrupts him in the middle of his little, like, presentation of his, like, announcement of his love for her. Just... Oh, sorry, I need to go check on a friend. Bye. Peaced out on the side. Uh, exit stage left. And we cut back to the ship. Uh, La'an is now pressing uh, 
pressing Una about the whole nickname and why does it bother her. Uh, and Una's like very like seriously, like, oh, it doesn't bother me. But clearly she, it, she cares about it. She's bothered about the fact that she A, didn't know about it and B, didn't, hadn't heard of it in all this time, right? Like, interesting setup. Uh, and it makes, and she's afraid that it makes her seem out of touch with the crew. She also quotes her own nickname incorrectly, uh, which is also pretty funny. Um, and Laan corrects her on it. Uh, and that's when the computer alerts them that there's been a breach, a security breach at the airlock. And rather than call for security, uh, Laan starts like prepping herself and starts calling security. And Luna's like, no, no. I got this. I'm your backup. I'm your backup. And then and she's like, you are fun. <laughs> yeah, which was a good line. Like, it's the first time I think we've seen, like, true joy from La'an. Yeah, La'an, uh, I watch it with Cal, and Cal's like, oh, there's there's Mrs. Edgy. And I can't help but agree that La'an's character has been portrayed as, like, the edge on the bridge. Um, I she also had a real Boimler moment in this scene too, right? Where she's like, she loves to stay on the ship to hear just the thrum of the warp core, which is so Boimler it hurts. Yes, yes it is. All right, so they run off the airlock and inside they discover two two uh, cadets or younger younger officers, two ensigns, a uh, human and a Bolian, which I think this is the first time we've seen a Bolian in quite some time, which was nice. Have we seen and, uh, any Bolians on Discovery? Feels like it is. Before this? I don't think so. Mm, There's some blue folks, but... This could be the first chronological appearance of a Bolian in Star Trek. Well, you got to remember, Discovery is the Michael Burnham show, so there's not going to be much variety that we see out of really anything else. I don't think there's a Bolian at all so far in Discovery. I don't think so either. Anyways, so they both, both the cadets or the ensigns raise their hands and are like, don't shoot us, we're part of the crew. And uh, we cut back to Chapel. Now she's skeeted across from Spock. And they have this conversation about how Spock has disappointed T'Pring. And he's saying about how he's concerned that he might be too, too human for her, uh, that he can't break his old habits. And he talks about Aichea, or Aichea, yeah. his uh, Salot. Which was a nice good call back to TAS I, again. I believe this may be the first live action reference to Aichea. Maybe. If you remember uh, TAS yesteryear, right. uh, Spock, Aichea uh, died protecting Spock from uh, a big, big bad, big nasty. Yeah, right. I mean, it was the most tragic scene of TAS, I thought. Okay, uh, and then Chapel responds with, hey, hey, I had a pet. Like, Milo, he was a Malamute. Uh, may have bitten a girl once because she was chasing after me. Uh, so I like maybe a Malamute's kind of like a Salot. She whacks Spock and he's like, I'm unfamiliar with this gesture. <laughs> I also really like that, that Spock kind of hijinks or pranked her after she goes, what are friends for? And Spock's <laughs> like, Hmm. Yes, he goes. He's like, "What are friends for?" And she looks at him and goes, "It was a joke." Rhetorical he's, question. And and just the actor nailed the timing on going from the actually thinking about what are friends for to ha got you. Humans are just as easy to tease as Vulcans. <laughs> Very good job on both of them. I think oh, both yeah. those actors are are rocking it on this show. Ethan great Peck Vulcan great. sense of humor. Yep. Did Ethan Peck know when he signed up for Discovery that he was 
going to be fawned over for uh, for a, a, a role in in the spinoff. I don't know, man. Like Leonard Nemo was a sex symbol back in the seventies for well, his portrayal of Spock, so I, I don't think it's a stretch to think that the new Spock would too. I wanted to point that out because all the people who are like bitching that we have a new sexual Spock, there are fandoms that have been waiting sixty damn years for this. Let it happen. <laughs> yeah, but some of those fandoms were hoping for it to be like a Kirk Spock kind of slash, well, not so much Kirk or sorry Spock with another woman. We haven't even seen Jim Kirk yet. It could happen. Okay, hold your horses. Uh, okay, so we go Did, back to is that a, Spock's is that a, horse. Is that, a, is that a Spock reference? I mean, maybe a little. He said so in Star Trek V. Hold your horses, Captain. He did. Really good. Star Trek V is a shitty movie. Uh, going back to Spock's <laughs> bedroom, uh, Spock is now suggesting a soul-sharing ceremony with T'Pring. They light a bunch of candles along the edges of the room. They go into like a pseudo mind meld stance with each other, but it's just hands touching rather than touching each other's faces. And the candles all go out in the room, very mystical and spooky. And they call each other's names from the opposite's voice in the opposite's body. And we have our Freaky Friday scene. And that, and this takes the cake for the fastest data transfer of all time. They just swapped bodies in a split second. Terabytes of data. No big deal. I works for me. Alright, so Pike is now getting is dressed for shore leave. The negotiations he thought had been successful uh, concluded. And that's when Robert April shows up. Admiral has bad news. Uh, the Rongovians are done. They're canceling everything. A connection wasn't made. Uh, whatever that means. And Pike is like, what? But they were really chill. Like, we were talking. Everything seemed friendly. They, we, we talked. It was good. Uh, and April stops him and is like, they don't want to talk to you anymore. They'll only talk with Spock. Cut to Spock. <laughs> yeah. And then we go back to our body-swapped uh, Spock and T'Pring, who've been working for hours to try and unswap and they can't get anything working. Uh, they have a couple more chants they want to try, and that's when the door chimes. And we get the funniest dialogue of the episode. We get this hilarious scene where uh, T'Pring is like, we should just sit here and wait. They'll go away eventually. And Spock's like, or you could just answer and pretend to be me and see what's going on. And then the door chimes again and yeah don't look complicated like, dude just open the door box like you should open it and she's like i know how a door works so the whole back and forth was delightful <laughs> it was even it didn't even have that inflection i know how a door works it was mm -hmm. just it was so <laughs> just absent any emotional <laughs> so here's where i want to point out something i thought was really neat the way that ethan peck's Peck is talking when he is inhabited by T'Pring. <laughs> you said Peck's. Uh, yeah, I know. Flexible. He has great ones. It's very different. I noticed that too. <laughs> it, it's very different. He talks much more softly, much more lower, uh, higher in the register, but lower in his chest, right? Like he's just talking in a very, like almost closed he, off sense. He even enunciates different words. I'm sad that we didn't hear T'Pring in Spock's body say censors uh, to see if she would also say <laughs> censors. Uh, oh. <laughs> S E N S E dash O R S O A R S O A R S. Gotcha. Yeah, it's ORS. Anyways, this whole thing goes great. We get this little discussion between the two of them about how uh, she hates hijinks, 
and this sounds like hijinks. Another great bit of dialogue between the two of them. Uh, Died on that one too. Yeah, it, I was laughing my ass off during all of these. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like hijinks. I don't like hijinks. <laughs> God. The one of the things that keeps throwing me off about Strange New Worlds is the dialogue and the acting and everything is so exactly what I want but the cinematography and the editing is still feels so serious and dramatic and uh, maybe it's planned that way having spent the last week watch the Orville where every set is actually just fully lit all the time and and watching Strange New Worlds where they do have the dramatic lighting um, there's just a ah, I'm unable to um, adequately reconcile the just juxtaposition of Strange New Worlds cinematography versus its um, feeling. I'll defend SMW in this. In some scenes, they're very well lit. Like when we have Una and La'an in the hallways, those are very brightly lit, very Orville-esque lighting, very TNT mm -hmm. lighting. But the, the shots inside of Spock's quarters are dim. But we mostly ever saw Spock's quarters super dim. Like, remember when he was meeting with Savick uh, in Star Trek Two in his quarters? Super dim. Well, also dim in Star Trek Six when he's talking to Kirk. Yeah, and with what's her face, Kim Cattrall in that same room Hilarious. too, right? With the sharing of the cup. Yeah. Also very. Well, dim. I don't think Savick was ever in Spock's room in Star Trek Two. I thought she did. I thought they visited at one point, but maybe not. Yeah. No, no. Man, I'll throw this out. The infinity to me, light. I remember the infinity light in Star Trek 2. The, oh, I'm thinking infinity stones. Sorry. Okay. Uh, so I'll throw this out here. To me, the, <laughs> I am inevitable. The lighting is is not, um, how do I want to word this, on Star Trek to me. It's, it's like th this is the same kind of, the lighting they're using here does not, surprise me it, it does not detract from what i think we know of star trek like it's got the same style that we've always seen and you're right it's tough to compare it to the orville the orville is everything's brightly lit all the time but that's just well it's just different show you know that's that's just their thing that's their their feel and star trek has been doing this since the 60s and so well we may we may not yeah. Let, let me uh, clarify to say that the TV shows were always more brightly lit. The 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 way that they're filming them now feels a lot more theatrical. Yes. This Very... show is definitely theatrical in oh, its yeah. shots. Oh yeah. Yes. And you know, and Discovery, like Discovery, was theatrical. Picard was theatrical. They're just they've adopted a theatrical cinematography. Well, look at camera qualities now. Well, yeah. No, I I I, I don't have a problem with it. My brain is just having trouble going, this is a funny show. Why is it so dramatically presented? Why is it in 1080p? Used to 420p or, or 480p. I'm at 3140, yo. Whoa! All right, all right, boys, boys, boys. All right so this scene goes on a little bit longer, and they eventually go like, okay, we just got to tell Pike. Like, we have to tell him. Yeah. Uh, and they explain it to him in his, like, micro-expressions of, like, disbelief. Fantastic, mm. Anson Mount. Anson Mount rocks this whole like, are you shitting me kind of look without actually saying it. It was good. Very good. 
<laughs> and and he's not at all like you're lying because number one you're Vulcan, but number two, I live on a spaceship. Switching bodies is not impossible. <laughs> and naturally, of course, he would say, "Get out of town." And Spock's like, "We're not on the town. Not We're town. not in town. We're not in the town." <laughs> that's uh, that's to bring speaking through Spock. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> we are not in the town. And just the the deadpan. It must have been such a hard scene to film for the actors. Yeah. <laughs> I even want to point out that Tupring's actress in this scene also is doing a very good Spock impersonation. Like, uh, Gia Sandu just rocks whole, like, his mannerisms, like, his hand movements. Uh, the whole thing was very well acted on all three parts. Well, Probably one of the best acted scenes in all of Trek. Yeah. Do you think that nowadays... There's probably some uh, attention put into, maybe not said, but kind of said that you re really need to pay attention to your your co-stars, their mannerisms, how they act, because you never know if you're going to be doing a body swap episode or, or something. I would think that uh -huh. you don't want to surprise someone and be like, Hey, Big J, you're gonna you're gonna do Dag today. It's like, oh shit, you know, it's I'm not I'm not ready for that. Suddenly, I know nothing about Dag. It, you know, it just makes your brain go. That's fair. Oh. That's fair. <laughs> I would wager that that's probably true on shows mm -hmm. with a fantasy, a sci-fi bend, but probably not on like a sitcom, right? Like Modern Family probably did not have any body oh, swap no, presentation no. things. Uh -uh. But I will say this: I... I would wager for this scene. I would I would bet real money that they first filmed it straight with Spock as Spock and to bring us to Pring, then they would watch it, study it, and then flip the characters on them. Yeah. That's what I would yeah. wager they would do. Yeah, or or dude, just practice it that way. Dude, I think you nailed it, and I can't wait for this question to be asked at a con. Like, I need to know, is she going to do a con nearby? Because I can't afford one that Ethan Peck's going to. <laughs> <laughs> well, every sci-fi show nowadays, I don't think, and there's a lot out there, but... Na name one that has not had some kind of body swap, mind swap. It, it almost feels like you should be ready for it Stranger nowadays. Thing. Kenobi, the Mandalorian. <sighs> okay, hold no up. No body swap. Okay, hold up, hold up. You know Mandalor what I mean. <laughs> Mandalorian's not over. Kenobi's not over. Stranger Things right. season four. I haven't seen the whole thing, so I don't know. Oh, you got to get on it, man. Thing? But yes, but yeah. none of these so far have had one. Is my point. And I don't think we will. Well, I don't think that it's in the tone of Star Wars to do a body swap episode. No, because Star Wars, that's sci-fi sci fantasy. That's not uh -huh. science fiction. Uh-huh. They, they, they did do a body swap in Stranger Things. You shut your mouth. When did they do a body swap in Stranger Things? Season one. The kid was infected with a Demogorgon, and he was giving away the location, and he was speaking. The Demogorgon was speaking for no, him. No. It's not a body I, swap. That's no, possession. Not, There's a difference. Yeah, that, that's possession. What is possession <laughs> if not body swapping? It's different. It's just, it, it's, it's one thing, person or entity, taking over another and speaking we're acting through that. Hey, everybody, and welcome Whereas... back to Beyond Possession Trump Podcast. No, you're not wrong. I'm wrong. All right, I'm all right. Wrong. Continuing on, at the end of this, at the end of this scene, we get this delightful like moment where Tapring agrees to meet with the Rongovians as Spock because it is very important. 
and like she's walking out of the room in Spock's body, still wearing the like drapery of Vulcan religious customs or whatever. And Tapring just goes, or Spock as Tapring grabs it off his back <laughs> as he's walking away. I cracked up at that. It was so timeless. Oh my god! I, yeah, this episode so, was a comedy. I am convinced. Everywhere. Is is the Spock and Tapring ship name Supring? Supring. It's called Spring. 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 No, that's what Ooh. I was leaning towards, but Supring, yeah. Very good. All right. So our next scene is Una and Laan uh, walking towards like their their interrogation of the two things, and as soon as one of them touches the door. She goes, bad cop. And then Laon goes, bad cop. And Una's like, damn it. I wanted to be bad cop kind of thing. Again, <laughs> straight comedy in this episode. Uh, they're talking about how they're going to approach their, their interrogations differently. And then we start seeing the two interrogations interspersed one with the other. And we see this Laon, arms crossed, looking pissed, ready to like devour that poor ensign. Like, you realize you're fucked, right? And we see Una... <laughs> in this uncharacteristically open and charming, like, mm. oh, I'm sure that you're okay. It's fine. Tell me what you were thinking. Why did you go out? Oh, it was so good. I loved it. <laughs> and Lon had hers in tears. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it was, so a, it was a very well, well shot scene. I, we love, that I love Rebecca Romaine as number one. I love her. Perfect. Mm-hmm. So at the end of this little back and forth, we see that the human ensign that was with La'an is left crying, and the Bolian ensign that was with Una and her are, like, laughing together, and they're explaining that they were doing this for Enterprise Bingo. They were both trying to finish their Enterprise Bingo. Sign the Scorch is what they both said. Uh, and then we go to the reunion scene where we've got La'an and Una and both ensigns, and they're like, okay, so what's your punishment? It's going to be two days or two weeks of working under under chief kyle to clean the transporter pads he's so it was two days i don't know if it was two days or weeks i, I think it was two it, days but... okay uh but either way both the ensigns react with like sheer terror at the idea of working under chief kyle because he's so mean uh <laughs> which was also funny as hell because all we've ever seen of chief kyle is that he is friendly and happy and really good at his job nice yeah <laughs> maybe it's a different chief kyle Maybe no. it's a common last name. Maybe Stop it's the it. Chief Kyle from TOS. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The Bolian and then makeup as soon as, was spot oh. on. I'm glad okay. they didn't change it. I'm glad they didn't change it. Yep. They could have Klingonified that. Oh, God. No, 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 no. Please don't. Don't put that out in the universe. Okay, so the two ensigns <laughs> get dismissed after hearing their punishment. And uh, Una looks still on and goes, what the hell is Enterprise Bingo? And that starts their entire plotline for the rest of the episode. They have nothing to do other than figure out what is Enterprise Bingo at this point. Yep. And it's Cut perfect. back to Spock in his quarters, and he receives a message from Katil, which is the colleague from uh, of T'Pring. Uh, and she explains that the rendezvous with Barjan to Orr has an unexpected problem. He will only meet with you, T'Pring. And uh, Spock in T'Pring starts saying something along the lines of, just don't feel myself like are you sure you can't handle this and katil quotes her back to herself being like if not us then who right like who's gonna save these poor wayward souls who've lost their logic we must we are here to help them and spock feels so guilty and is like okay all right i'll help weak it's becoming <laughs> 
more hijinks. I love it. You know, I'm, I'm getting that feeling the Vulcans aren't so great anymore. They sound like imperialists. We must bring logic to the galaxy. Well, it's kind of like how we do. We got to bring democracy and freedom to, you know, whoever whoever needs it. Yeah, but usually that's it. just code for bringing oil back to us. Bringing oil. Yeah, yeah. Hasn't worked out all that well. <laughs> no, no. We don't get a lot of oil. We do get a lot of vinegar, though. You got a lot of oil there in, uh, on the West Coast? Or do, you, do you need some freedom? Do I need some freedom? Yes, I need some freedom from the $7 gas prices in California. Oh, so boy. We get a little bit of background on what it is that T'Pring does. <laughs> like, what is her job? Mm-hmm. And she's apparently a Vulcan-like logic cop. She's part of the El Keshkantankil. Jeez. Uh, she's essentially just somebody who goes out there and talks people down off their illogical cliffs super, and makes them come back to society. Feels like the thought police. I don't know if it goes as far as being quite so nefarious. It sounds like more she's like a space psychiatrist. Like she goes and talks people down who've lost their way. Gotcha. Instead of thought police. Okay. Like, yeah, all of Vulcan society is very thought police. Nobody's allowed mm-hmm. to show their emotions. Okay. But when you're allowed to mind meld. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Well, we know Vulcans are pretty anti-force, non-consenting mind meld, except for Spock when he did it to Valeris, right? But generally, they're very under orders from his commanding officer. Well, it was under orders, but still, the needs of the many, like a whole war, or or this. Yes. And I would have liked to explore Spock's mind state after that, but let's keep going. Well, he was pissed as shit. Okay, yeah, let's keep going. So, anyway, slap the phaser right <laughs> Alone in the crew lounge, now we've got Una and Lan like going through some cadets like pad with the actual like list of Enterprise bingo. Here's my biggest problem with the episode: it's not a bingo card. It's just a fucking list. Why didn't they? Why didn't would they, they call it bingo? I don't so, know. Why would they call it bingo card so instead of like a bucket list? I know why. I know why. Okay, this. It's, uh-huh. an, it's in an extraordinarily obscure Star Trek book that was written, but bingo didn't survive World War Three. So the word did, and the idea that you're supposed to, like, tally goals did, but the whole, like, bingo card format thing, that didn't make it. Okay. I'm bullshitting you. Citation needed. Oh. <laughs> I didn't buy that for a moment. I bought it. I was. Citation. You needed. saw my face. I, I you had, saw my face the whole time. I had my entire <laughs> mouth around the hook. I was deep throating this hook, and then he just yanks the fishing pole. God. You, know, you didn't caught, get me at all. I caught one. You got one. Got a big one. <laughs> all right. So yeah, that's like my only real objection to the episode. Other than that, I think it was great. Uh, the list itself is interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so some of the things are like changing the the universal translator to the Andorian language, <laughs> uh, using the transporter to reflavor gum, uh, sitting in the captain's chair. Some of these are pretty harmless, but mm-hmm. still sketch. Uh, get a medical tricorder to detect you as a Vulcan marsupial, which is a reference to Dr. Zimmerman and Voyager. Uh, yeah, overall, it's like a fun little challenge for like somebody stationed on a ship to do i get it sneak and scribble into the transporter buffer sit in the captain's chair that's easy enough ev suit challenge unsanctioned spacewalk sign the scorch (laughs) right so anyways it's a cool little list i get it people Mm -hmm. on ships have to especially long mission ships like a five-year mission ship has to have stuff to do 
They've got to yeah. come up with stuff to, to keep themselves going crazy. So. Oh yeah. Well, the fun bit here is that the way that La'an got this list was by uh, ins a routine inspection of one of the cadets' quarters or one of the ensigns' quarters, to which Una gives her this like stink eye of like, really? She's like, I'm just doing my job, which was good. Uh, All those lawful neutral officers out there. Yep, and here's where Una thinks that if this is what passes for fun amongst the lower ranks, then she's happy to be fun's funeral. And La'an corrects her with, ah, it's where fun goes to die. Again, delightful. Uh, so they try to they decide as a pair that they're going to get a better understanding of this list and of the lower decks and reconnect with them by actually just going through the bingo card. Why not? Yeah. Sounds okay. like fun. It was a good so, move with the gum thing, though. Like, wow, okay, so the transporters can reflavor gum. That's cool. That's pretty damn cool, yeah. So the first one on the list is reflavoring the gum. So they go to the transporter. La'an gets beamed into the buffer, out of the buffer, like, immediately. No travel distance, nothing. Uh, but the this spearmint is... flavor is back in the gum. Interesting. This, think... is, this is the medical transporter. We know yep. there's someone in the buffer. There's more than buffer space. Well, over no, here, no, no, no. you know. I'm not, I'm not the, saying. I'm not saying that like. Oh no, we lost. They the, don't defrag the, the, the buffers. The doctor's daughter. Oh no, but I'm just saying like. Oh yeah, we're in the. And I love the way that this sick bay kind of looks like Enterprise, but it kind of looks like. TOS Enterprise, you know, just bridging the gap. You think that medical transporter could make um, bazooka gum not feel like you're chewing a rock? No, probably not. No, in fact, it would restore it to rock in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. If the bazooka copyright maintained itself for another 300 years. So our next... They're uh, used as weapons. Our next option on the list is that they're going to do the Turbolift Two Shout Challenge. Uh, so this is a lot like TikTok challenges to me. Mm -hmm. uh, they both get into the elevator, the, 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 the Turbolift. They grab the handle and they both shout two different things at the computer at the same time. And the computer has to pick one or the other. And we see Una and La'an yell engineering in the bridge, and Una wins for some reason. It's probably <laughs> rank-based is my guess. Uh, but yeah. And the next the one is... Yep. <laughs> and they turned them to... Handles with turning and the, uh, the cool little psychedelic centerpiece in there. So good. The turning handles, which I'm convinced doesn't do shit, but they got them. They turn. They, they well, do. Well, in Deep, a Deep Space Nine episode, remember when Bashir and O'Brien get into one and they're just like talking to it until they turn the handle? Yes. Doesn't listen. Trials and tribulations. <laughs> yep. Okay. So then the next challenge is the phaser stun duel. So they both turn their phasers down to the lowest setting. They march a few paces away from each other. Ready, aim, fire, and. Una at the last second goes, wait, and La'an does <laughs> nope. not wait, uh, and just hits her in the shoulder, and she goes, ow, that actually hurt. Uh, and then La'an goes, are we having fun yet? <laughs> Dude, I think La'an and Odo need their own animated, like, short. They oh, would go so well together. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Oh, that's a sitcom idea. See, nobody gave Odo shit for being edgy and dour all the time, but they're giving La'an so much for it. Ooh, good point. Good point, fandom. I think I know. I think I. I think I know why. Entertain me on this, but it's because she's very pretty. She's attractive, she and she's she's playing a role of authoritarian 
and there could be a section of the fan base that just does not equate an attractive woman with being this kind of character with Odo. It was easy because, you know, Clayface and he's a guy. That's just what it is. But right. I mean, am I am I way off base? No, no. I think you're right. I just think the fandom needs to get a come like uh, more associated with dominatrixes because that's the vibe I get from on. That's my jam. Who yell at you and whip you and ask you if you like it? Challenge accepted. Yes, ma'am. I'm all in. You okay, Dag? You look broken. (laughs) He's not gonna make it. Just I think can't. of leather and whips and tassels, No, man. that's my problem. Well, you don't have to talk. Stop thinking of it I'm, now. I'm there. You don't have to lock me into it. I can't unsee this. This is going to be like right. a Rocky Horror version of it, and La'an's oh. going to play Dr. Frankenfurter. You've seen the Sold. Rocky Horror picture of the Enterprise cast, right? Yes, I have. Yes, I've heard now, that. Yeah, let's get the I've SMW cast to do it, too. Oh, God. Yes. Start a movement. Hashtag Strange New Horrors. <laughs> literally made that up i haven't been sitting on that like we, you, you saw it happen organically right here strange new horrors get it out there go on twitter go on facebook tag anson mount have them do the picture get everybody in the thing i don't know why i'm still doing this i just i saw justin timberlake do it in a snl thing and you heard it here first folks all right, cutting to our next uh, scene, we've got Chapo and Ortegas walking through the biospheres, just kind of chilling, uh, talking about like uh, Chapo and Devers, and then how he read her some poetry. But surprisingly, the poetry was pretty good. Uh, Oddly, not terrible was the phrase. Uh, then they suddenly spot to Pring, uh, and Ortegas is like, "Oh, she looks pissed." Your bone, Chapo. Yeah, and Chapel <laughs> goes. I tried to give Spock some relationship advice, and Ortegas warns about getting in the middle of a Vulcan relationship uh, as it ends with a Lirpa, and she's got the scars to prove it. <laughs> Real Ooh. scars. Real Their scars. whole demeanor. <laughs> she says she has actual scars, which means yes. that in the 20th, 23rd century, even a Lirpa can not be healed completely, or maybe she just was out of range of proper healing, but I like this. Or I she like just the... left the scars. Sure, y'all leave them. That's battle scars. Battle scars right there. Ortegas seems like the type to leave for battle like scars. Yes, dude, I swear, Ortegas jumped through a wormhole from the Alien universe, and she's actually like a colonial marine. Marine, yeah, hundred yep. percent colonial marine vibes. Yep. From from the hair to the stance to the, even that scene in uh, uh, the the Uhura episode where she's wearing like the, the sort of midriff with the army pants like 100% yes. colonial marine yeah and I like their whole uh, vibe in the scene of is she coming this way? she's coming this way oh shit she's coming this way <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as Topringa arrives or approaches them she she asks to speak to Chapel and Ortega just kind of looks they're like concerned she, then Topringa adds alone and then Ortega looks very concerned but gets the fuck out. So, okay. <laughs> she thinks she knows what's going on. It's not going to be good. Uh, but then Chapel, exp- or Chapel like, is told what happened about how this is Spock and T'Pring's body and how she's got to do T'Pring's job, which she never really, which Spock never really understood. Uh, and then Chapel like, gives good relationship advice about this being an opportunity to understand each other better. It's about, you know, making the connection and understanding each other. It's the whole theme of the fucking episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is his way to help her while she is helping him by pretending to be Spock. Cool. 
the symbolism there is serious. It's very heavy. Uh, and then Spock and Dupring, like, sees this coming dangerously close to hijinks. Another great line. And Chapel responds with, hey, who doesn't love hijinks? And you <laughs> see, like, this Spock eyebrow go up on Dupring, and it was perfect. <laughs> I don't think I stopped laughing all the way up to this so point, good. too. Uh, back on board the ship, we've got Uninua on, uh, not really digging the whole vibe of doing the rest of the bucket list or the, the bingo list, uh, especially after the phaser shot. Uh, but then Una's like, no, we've gone this far. We must finish, right? Like, okay. Uh, and then they both ask each other, like, what's the point of Enterprise bingo? And Alan's like, maybe it's a way just to blow off steam. And then Una makes the thought or makes the connection that, wait a second, it's a way to break the rules. And breaking the rules is like a pressure relief itself. Like that's the thing, right? A way that's mostly harmless. Nothing on that list really endangers the ship, right? Yeah, uh, like rolling so. through a stop sign, you know, just blow some steam or whatever. Yeah. Wave someone through a crosswalk and then just wink at them. No. Uh, <laughs> so then we cut to our next bit, which is back to the negotiations with Rongovians. Tupring and Spock is presenting a legit Vulcan logic argument as to why the Rangovians should side with the Federation. Explains that Klingons are a conqueror race and you'll be subservient to them, blah, blah, blah. The whole argument is very legit. She's presenting a very fact-based argument and doing it very well. Um, but the Rangovians are responding in a very Vulcan manner too. Query and then asking their question or responses. They are again mimicking the behavior of the person they are talking to. Uh, and because Tupring is more logical than Spock, they are getting a legit Vulcan treatment of this, not the Spock half-Vulcan, half-human treatment. So mm -hmm. it's more extreme probably than what they'd even expected. And they don't know this, of course. Uh, at this point in the episode, I was actually still under the impression that maybe the Rongovians had somehow caused the body swap, right? Like, I was I was still kind of suspicious as to that. Like, I just didn't know what, what the point of them was. Like, was this their kind of, like, way of manipulating the Federation? I had some real suspicions there. Uh, but I after this scene, I was done with that. I was like, okay. I, I don't think... I never thought they caused that, but I, I knew that that was a clue, was there's going to be something about how they how they are and how they act depending on who they talk to that's going to it's just like one of those it's not so much Chekhov's gun but it's okay wait a minute this is something we probably need to pay attention to because it will serve a purpose later uh, so just with the whole here's how where my act. head was at just to explain mm -hmm. it right when they said that they were an empathic or a race of fold with empathy I thought that they literally meant that they were empaths like half betazoids like Deanna Troy right mm -hmm. so my thought was maybe they unintentionally caused some sort of like static in the connection between the soul sharing ceremony of the Vulcans right and that just caused them to get mm. stuck in each other's brains mm -hmm. and the only way to fix it would be to convince the Rongovians to help them unswitch them or whatever right I thought that, that gotcha. was how the episode was going to go I never even thought mm. that yeah that's just where I was going with it and I thought that, that would have been be just a little too Star Trek you know, just I, uh, a little too Star Trek I'm glad it didn't go that way I have a oh yeah yeah I have a friend with whom we debate MCU stuff a lot, and we we like to think that we have some really good ideas sometimes, but a lot of times we're like, okay, wait, now dial it back 50% because they can't do that in the movie. And, <laughs> and I think that's where that's where my, maybe the overthinking came in here. I was like, hold up, dial it back 50%. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that was an interesting take. I, I didn't even think about that. I was just glued to my glued to the screen the whole time. 
Yeah. Another thing is, Uhura's in the scene, but she doesn't even have dialogue. She's well, the her episode was, she's no, just typing things down. Yeah, she's a her, her episode was a previous episode. She's also the linguist. Yeah. Yeah. There, there doesn't seem any... to be any sort of need for communication. No, no, no. no but I mean, this. if there's any no. breakdown with the Universal Translator, she'll be there. That's well, the that's cool true. part. She is also still a cadet too, right? So she is going to be used for the mm -hmm. most menial tasks possible. She's below a yeoman, really. So. Really? Yeah. I, th I thought. Okay. I... Let's, mm. let's talk about tiger teeth some more. Okay, yeah. so the makeup for the Rongovians was really cool too, right? Like their look was kind of novel. I don't think we've ever seen anything quite like them in Trek before, but it looked good. They look like. They look like how I imagine, like, if you were going to take uh, dark elves from D&D &D and make them into a movie, they have, you have more stripes and stuff. I'll play D&D, &D, have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, I, I can see where you're coming from. They're, like, tigerized dark elves. I get it. Yeah. But yeah, so at this point, the questions from the Rongovians start getting rather personal for Spock, right? Like, don't you feel like you're spending so much time away from your people? How do you feel about losing your connection to your people? And uh, T'Pring starts giving a response that kind of undermines the Federation's position in the negotiations. However, as we will learn later in the episode, doing so would have actually helped their negotiations, because it implies that she understands their concerns better right but to bring us spock uh, gets kind of interrupted by pike who does who jumps in uh to explain on spock's behalf he gives a very good inspirational speech talking about this noble sacrifice spending time away from his culture and his people and his family uh and so forth and so on it was very prototypical like captain speech i loved it uh, he gets a captain speech every episode yes <laughs> which i'm here for every yep. day yeah, uh, but yeah, so it was a good bit of like saving of T'Pring because she really didn't have a good answer for this because that's the same concern she shows about Spock is essentially what he asked. Uh, and T'Pring like even expresses gratitude when he does this, like he saves her butt on this one. Yeah, it's a good moment in the middle of the episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, at this point, the Rongovians are like, okay, cool, it's fine, you, you've impressed us, you broke the rules, but it's okay, you, you did it for a noble reason, so we'll give you the opportunity to give, like, the summation argument, the, like, the last argument, and they just kind of peace out and leave. And April, who still does not know what's going on, because I don't think that he's been informed of the whole Freaky Friday aspect. No. no. He just kind of, like, shrugs, doesn't know what's going to happen from here. <laughs> Time for me to just sit back and see where the hell this goes. Yep, and now we're back on the shore leave station, and we've got Spock and T'Pring uh, bringing uh, Chapel along for the mission to talk to Barjan, uh, who is the renegade Vulcan without logic. Uh, he's seated at a three-dimensional chess table with a whole bunch of other Vulcans sitting around him, and, and non-Vulcans too, but mostly Vulcans, playing that and playing... Uh, no. Oof playing a bunch of Vulcan games that we've seen throughout Star Trek like the one with the sticks that, that Tuvok always played too. Katascot. Is it Katascot? Yeah. yeah. So we see a bunch of those like around. It was a really <laughs> Dag cool Jinx. Thing. The Romulan <laughs> that is getting out from his chair 
when they arrive very, very much feels like they have the same sort of not the Romulan Vulcan, but they feel like they have the, that Romulan like TNG plushy kind of was that not a going on. No, it was totally a Vulcan, but I just I saw the outfit and went, oh, that looks like a Romulan to me. Yeah, he's got the shoulder I did pads too. very Romulan. I, I did too. I thought there was something but well, okay, now that I say it out loud, no, it doesn't make sense, but it seemed like why why leave why leave that to where we think that's a Romulan? The first thing I thought was, yeah, but oh well. I never got the hint that he was Romulan. Vulcan aesthetics are very similar to Romulan ones anyways. So. Well, yeah, they used to be the same people. Right. What's also neat, though, is we also see an Andorian playing 3D chess against a Vulcan. I'm sure that that's going to end violently. It'll be delightful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's but it's yeah, the so, Professor X Magneto, you know, of the 20th yes. century. Yes. So we get to the scene and we get this back and forth conversation between Tapring, Chapel, and Barjan, where Barjan just shows just how much of a racist he is. He may be a Vulcan without logic, but he's also an, like a racist, a Vulcan supremacist, right? Mm -hmm. So he embodies mm -hmm. like a lot of those same sensibilities that we think about on Earth's politics too. And we're like, yeah. oh, so not so, only are you like emotional, but you're also a racist. So he's yeah. a Romulan. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Pretty close. Yeah. Proud boy with pointed ears. Yeah, proud boy with the pointed ears is a good way to look at him. I like that. Uh, but yeah, so he uses, some, he uses some really sharp language against Chapel, like even talking about her being descended from monkeys and like it shows. <laughs> like, right? Like, don't misunderstand our evolution, you jerk. Right. It's bad. Uh, anyways, the scene. The scene goes with like Dupring trying to talk to him, and he's just not interested in talking to Dupring because she's also like betrothed to the son of Sarek, who polluted their bloodline by marrying a human. And it's like, okay, you are preying on every self-conscious vulnerability of Spock, and you don't even know it because he's inside of Dupring. It's a very good telling scene, and Spock at the end of this scene stands up for himself and punches the guy, knocks him right out. Doesn't matter what universe we're in. Do not talk shit about Spock's mom. That's how you get him to snap, and you're going to get a right hook. But that insult that he says, like, he's twice the Vulcan you are, and he just comes back with a human's assessment is hardly the basis for insult. Like, I'm stealing that, and I'm just going to replace human <laughs> with whatever this person thinks they are in the moment. A Pride Boy's assessment is hardly the basis for insult. <laughs> I, but I... <laughs> I, I tell you what, I, I love that Spock is not beyond lighting you up if you go too far. I mean, we saw TOS Spock do the same thing too, right? Like, yep, and Kelvin Timeline Spock. Yeah, yeah we've seen Spock's many just got Spock. that temper. Yeah, he'll do he, it. He is the epitome of I'm going to knock you out. Mama said knock you out. <laughs> See, I was going to go with fuck around, find out, right? Fuck like, around, find out. <laughs> oh, you're going to insult my friend who's right here? Oh, you're going to insult my mom? Well, oh, you're that's fine, it. Bro. See, and that's, that's where I was like, pull the mom you and knock you up. out. Because Amanda would be like, honey, you have to listen to your father. But if he talks shit, you knock him out. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's right. That was great. This whole scene was delightful too. It was just good to see like a racist get his ass like knocked on his ass. So yeah. mm -hmm. that's always fun. Punch Nazis. Mm -hmm. Do it, man. Mm -hmm. Uh so at the end of the scene we get like Spock turning to like Chapel and goes, eh, maybe my response is a tad too human. And Chapel's like, No, just the right amount. He used the word <laughs> tad. <laughs> oh yeah. I missed that. <laughs> That was, it was just, and I love how the other Vulcans are like, huh, 
like they look at it and they're like, eh. okay. <laughs> and they're they're probably just like, you know what, racists get knocked out here a lot. It's cool. Right, right, yeah. Do got punched. Probably knew Not that my she problem. Was a cop. They probably knew she was a cop. She's wearing like a uniform. So like But yeah, the only other thing I wanted to point out was I thought it was actually really cool that it just before to bring or Spock has to bring like knocks him out with a punch, Chapel looks like she was ready to throw hands too. She was taking steps forward. Mm-hmm. She wasn't gonna like let it slide at that point either. And that's a reminder, mm. Vulcans are a lot stronger than humans, but she was still ready to go. Yes, so, ready to throw down. It was going to be one of those fighting picnics. I was down for that. I thought oh. we were going to get, like, yeah, yeah. Times, <laughs> she didn't cross the line. Now the Andorians in it. It's Vulcans are in it. Everyone's throwing stuff. So okay. cut to our next scene. We still oh, go ahead. Yeah, we still got uh, our next scene is back in sick bay. We've got Spock and Tapring like on bio beds on opposite sides. And Benga's like putting like a paste on their forehead with some crystals that are shiny, and uh, they're monitoring their brain activity and glucose levels, uh, and they're gonna try like cortical stimulation that's gonna make anything un unfamiliar to your brain feel uncomfortable, so it's gonna want to get out. It's the idea. So they would think that they would just swap back that way. Mumbo jumbo. This is the weirdest medical application in Star Trek, and I'm fine with it because it's seashell paste. Flox didn't, would be proud. Didn't Spock say, what is this annoying paste Flox. you're putting on my forehead? Flox Noxious would be yes. proud. Flox, yes. But yeah, so Chapel puts it as, we zap you, you switch back. And then Benga adds the theoretically. And then while they're both like about ready to start the treatment, uh, and Benga and Chapel like ask if this, or Chapel asks Benga, is this, are we going to get nerve pinched for this? And uh, <laughs> Benga's like, yeah, probably. <laughs> and then the cortical simulation turns on, the crystals start shining, and they both scream very loudly. End of scene. Yeah, so apparently it did not tickle. Apparently, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward, like, technobabble solution. They make the they make a katra or spirit or energy, whatever in your brain, uncomfortable so that it goes back to its host, original host, whatever. Do it to this both at the same time, you switch back, whatever, I don't really care. It's a it's a decent enough explanation for mumbo jumbo. See, the first one mm-hmm. was a wired transfer because they were touching. This was a wireless transfer with like crystal. Oh. Like they had transport enhancers on their heads. I like it. <laughs> and then there's this cute uh, cute scene between Spock and Chapel, who canonically has a crush on Spock. So it's interesting that she's like wingmanning yep. for him too. She also made it clear she liked... Well, she flirted with him earlier in this show as well, too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he calls her Nurse Chapel. She tells him, call me Christine. And then he does, which is progress. Uh, Chapel goes, no big deal. And Spock's like, no, no. This was huge. Thank you so much for everything. And uh, he assures her that Vulcans cannot lie. At least not like humans can. And uh, she goes, you should be honest with yourself about this. Uh, and then, you know, yeah, that she was leaves. that was a really cool play on words there, where she was like, you know, you need to be honest, and he's like, Vulcans can't lie. She's like, with yourself, like, it's easy for you to be honest with everybody else. That's great, but you still have to struggle with the same shit on the inside that the rest of us do. So be honest with yourself about it. Yep, and we're almost wrapping up at this point. Spock and Tapring are back in their quarters. Uh, they have a bit of a talk about this. Uh, they both admit that 
Spock doesn't need to prove his Vulcanness. He is both half Vulcan and half human. He is quite simply Spock. Uh, T'Pring understands, or says she understands this and values, and understands his value for duty. What you do is important, etc. Uh, and they both say that we must both want to be here. And, you know, it sets up that they're still going to try keeping this going for at least somewhat longer. We know that this relationship has to fail at some point in this show, but for now, they seem like they're going to keep trying. And they kiss. Pam. Yep. In it, the conference room, back did, on Starbase 1. I just oh. wanted to make one comment about it. Did anybody else's back hurt when they saw them both sitting on the bed at, like, full posture? Anybody? No? Was it just me? Oh, man. I felt mm -mm. like I had a pinched nerve. I was like, guys, relax. <laughs> you are, like, trying to stand at attention while you're sitting on your bed. Jim, yeah. you've seen Babylon 5, right, Dag? I have seen Babylon 5. I know. I know Do you remember the Minbari beds? No. Mm -hmm. So... Ivanova has to sleep on a white star at some point in an episode, right? And she's shown where the quarters are for the Minbari beds. They're at like a 45 degree angle and have like one tiny pillow at the top and she's just being told to sleep there. She takes like 20 minutes trying to like position the bed at different angles, but it keeps flopping on her and she's falling off. In the end, she gets every pillow from the entire room and makes like a little pattern for herself on the ground and lays down on it. By the time she finishes that, her hour where she should have been sleeping is over. Oh, jeez. Sleeping yep. customs of other races don't have to conform to our spines, Dag. They're not sleeping. They're sitting on a bed having right. a conversation. Work in progress. It's good back posture. Get a lumbar you, pillow, you two. You know, you guys ought to. You guys ought to try this. It might change your life. Um, sleeping with a uh, angled bed. You just get like there's these risers no, no, you can get. Um, you, yeah, you put them on the the Mac wheel, so you're you know kind of in an angle. It's not bad. Now I will tell you that it's kind of a bitch when you wake up in the middle of the night and you've slid down a little bit and you have to like climb your way back up. I, I wish I had a harness. That was like attached to the headboard so I wouldn't slide down. It'll just keep me in place. Just Are you sure you don't want to sleep upside down next? Just well, oh like god, no, head. no, I can't do that. Sleep oh, like a geez. cone head. Just cut out a U say a U shaped figure in your mattress and then just plop yourself in there. <laughs> I'm a side sleeper. None of these things work for me. Uh, right. I'm a toss and turner. Oh. <laughs> Alright, so back to the conference room. Uh, Uhura has one of her very few lines this episode, and she asks Pike uh, if he knows what he's going to say to the Rongovians. And April adds, like, I hope he does. And Pike goes, eh, where's the drama in that? I'm just going to wing it. Mm -hmm. I don't think he actually wings it, but uh, he presents that, that approach to his superior officer. Uh, the Rongovians enter, uh, and they just straight up ask Pike, why should we choose to ally with the Federation? And Pike's like, you know what? You shouldn't. You are in a position <laughs> where we're going to get you in trouble. Can we spotlight? With... Can we spotlight Robert April's? What the fuck? Yes. <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> like it's on the screen right now, frozen for the audience to see. If you're checking us out on uh, an audio format, please check us out at our YouTube. We have screenshots to go with all of this that make a bit more sense. But Robert April's look here is like, you about to be busted down to yeoman, and I'm gonna have Chapel ordering you what to do. He's, his face is saying, "Bitch, what?" Very well shot scene, right? And then we we, we get we get the reason and 
yeah. for why he does this at the end of the scene. But he continues on with his whole, like, we're only a few years out from the Klingon Wars. The Romulans are out there biding their time. Like, if you ally with us, you will end up in a conflict. Yeah. I, right? love, like, I love his line of, why do you want to make our enemies your enemies? Like, that's mm-hmm. such a great mm-hmm. line. It yeah. was. Pike's well, wisdom score is like 22. Oh, yeah. His, his wisdom role is just up there. When you really think about it, though, he is absolutely right. Nothing paints a target on your back more than joining the Federation. Or anybody, really. That's my, that's my take joined, on that. If they had joined the Klingons, the Federation would have put a target on them. Someone? Yes. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who you join. There's going to be a target on your back. You might as well be with somebody that you're at least in a group. Do I have it's, to remind you guys of what the EU and NATO have done for the Ukraine, right? Had it been an, a member of either one of the others, it wouldn't have been invaded by Russia, guys. Trying to be neutral is not a beneficial stance. No, no, Trying it's to not. Be neutral gets you fucked with. Pick a side. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. You, you have pick to a pick side. a side, but in picking a side, you still get a different target on your back. I mean, this is the sta- sure. This is the fundamental statement of you can't please everybody, so just make a choice. Yes. Mutually assured destruction. Yes. Like, if you pick a side and being a part of that side gets you their protection and the dangers of war are too great to risk, right? Like, if the Federation and the Klingons go to war, devastation for both sides, they're not going to go to war all that often. They don't go to war majorly ever. So, at this point, it's probably safer to just pick a side. Subservience under the Klingons or membership in the Federation. Well, and you you mentioned the Ukraine they're not in a bad position either because at least they don't have oil if they did they would have gotten have a fresh dose of freedom second largest natural gas and reserves in europe dude what then why aren't we there we we don't just invade countries for resources no we bring freedom yes we bring freedom and democracy <laughs> now I'm going I can tell back you why, but I, I won't go. Security podcast. I, I can tell you. I can tell you exactly why we're not there, but I don't want to go there. Yeah, that's, I, that's a whole uh, honestly, different. Listeners, viewers, Renzo is like in the know about this stuff, so I trust him. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, at the end of this little presentation by uh, Pike, he explains, or sorry, the Rungovians all peace out, and he explains to Hora and to April why he did it. Their negotiation tactic is to understand the other side. What they're looking for is for somebody to do it to them. Because that shows that you've made a connection, that you understand each other, this whole like empathy gap that they're bridging. It's the same thing that mm-hmm. there was missing between T'Pring and Spock. It's the same thing that's missing between Una La'an and the Lower Decks, right? Like this is all the whole episode's theme is about making a connection and understanding the other side by putting yourself in their shoes, right? Sometimes literally. Uh, yeah, literally. Yeah. So April explains that the way that uh, the Rongovians show if they pick the side will be to fly the sail of their new ally. He said this earlier in the episode, but yep. mm-hmm. uh, he just mentions it. And then we see it happen. We see that their solar sail Rongovian flagship, like a relic. Uh, so it's a ceremonial unfurls. ship. They, yeah. they always mm-hmm. they bring this to their diplomatic discussions. Yep. It's Air Force One. Sure. It's more like the U.S.'s <laughs> Constitution. Okay. But yeah, so they unfurl their sails, it's beautiful, it looks great, we see the Federation flag flying and they just start to pull out, uh, which was really cool. Uh, we see everybody on the ship reacting to it, uh, and then we cut to our next scene, which is Una and La'an outside on the hull, without spacesuits on, 
under a shield bubble because you know she pokes it on the side just to make sure it's still there uh, <laughs> and they're just walking on the hull if i was <laughs> do not touch that bubble what the fuck are you doing you know if if it was gonna fail it would have you touching it doesn't make me feel any better but that was awesome that they're just outside there on i'm really glad the, the grab plating on the hull works the same way as the grab plating on the inside they might have had boots on we don't know they might have had boots on i didn't hear no boots the hull is thicker you wouldn't hear the funk mm. anyways anyways okay. <laughs> the whole reason why they're doing this is because they can authorize a spacewalk at their leisure so going on a spacewalk isn't a, isn't breaking the rules so they don't understand the appeal of it right but mm -hmm. what they're doing right now with this shield bubble to provide atmosphere is against deep Starfleet regulations that you don't just get to break. So they're breaking the rules to get to this part of the hull, and they both sign the Scorch, which is supposedly the oldest unreplaced piece of the Enterprise's hull, and it's good luck to sign it. And we see, like, a, a, a Khan Noonien Sung sign, and the, or sorry, La'an. La'an. La <laughs> don't make me go and back and see, pause that scene. <laughs> And then we see Una, number one. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Una Chin Riley, Riley, number one. And then number one, sign as well. Yep. Uh, very I, cool. I was looking to see if there were any Easter eggs in there. I didn't see any signatures there that I recognized. There were a few. I read this on a Reddit post about it. There were a few names of people who show up on the Enterprise later uh, mm. in other episodes. Uh, so that's kind of neat. Um, so, but yeah. Hmm. And then they, of course, also awe at the uh, the sail Rungovian ship. ship sail ship. Yeah. Yep. Which, again, beautifully presented ship. It looked awesome. Seeing its sails like actually unfurl little by little with like little tractor beams moving it around too. Really cool. Very, very awesome. Much cooler than the Majoran light ship. I'll give you that. Mm -hmm. Or even the uh, the Sona. Collector. Oh yeah, the Sona sail ship collector thing yep the one that it did remind me of was uh count dooku's geonosian like sail ship because he had oh, one of those yeah. two that unfurled it reminded yep. me a lot of that yeah uh but yeah so cutting back to our last scene we've got spock and topring uh more naked than not uh holding each other and they talk about how they kind of enjoyed being mr spock for a day and spock admits in the like the spirit of total honesty that well I punched Barjan. That's how I captured him. And Tupring goes, eh, having met him, that's logical. <laughs> you you gotta wonder, what can you do to a Vulcan to where you make it make sense to get punched? Like, you, you made it logical. <laughs> you had to have done like, a lot there. I feel like some Vulcans may be pacifists, but I don't think all of them are, right? So if, like, Tuvok is certainly not a pacifist, right? If you piss off Tuvok and getting you out of the way is the most efficient approach to getting on with whatever he has to do, he's just going to nerve shit. Like, yeah, Mama said knock you. you out. Yeah. But yeah, overall, cool scene. Uh, and then we cut to our last bit, which is Ortegas and uh, Chapel. Chapel talking about Deaver inside of like the lounge again. And they're talking about how, how getting into a ship that could be serious is interesting. And then Chapel seems kind of distracted during this whole thing and is like, uh, she would only consider something serious, but it would have to be the right guy. And I think that we're hinting that she's developing her crush on Spock here. Yep. Surprise. 
And uh, yeah, I think that that was a good good rundown for the whole thing. Right? I like, really liked mm-hmm. the cut that followed the sailing ship out of Spock and Pring's room and altered the angle and then zoomed out into the, uh, the little club here. Which I, I pray, you know, this is not the same club. I feel like this isn't the same club that uh, McCoy got arrested on. Uh, in Star Trek Three, but I want to believe it. Like different starbase from the other yeah, side of the star room. Base. I just want to hear Genesis. Genesis is forbidden. Yeah. That Tiburonian was but, so funny. I love it. But him. that scene in yep. Star Trek Three was probably like one of the first casual places that people got to see in Star Trek, and so that set the precedent. Well, deep space, deep uh, space, deep station K seven. Right, that no. bar but, as well, but yeah. even then yeah. they were they were in uniform. This McCoy is not yeah. in uniform. He's just hanging out, and there's people, right. and there's there's a waitress that giving me the the Betty Boop vibes, mm-hmm. and like just very You're much. Right. This is like this is the depths of Coruscant, um, yeah. kind of vibe, and it sets the stage for this every. This is much nicer scene. than Coruscant, hey, sir. Hey, have you ever been to Coruscant? No, I've seen no. enough of it. Yeah. You heard rumors. I've seen enough. <laughs> Those are stories. You haven't been to the real place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so notable thing for me was that Hemmer doesn't show up in this episode at all. Yeah. Not he even was, for a moment. Last episode was his episode. That's fine. Same way Laura had hers two or three episodes mm-hmm. ago or whatever. Yeah. But I'm surprised that we didn't see about him, like, going and reading a, a, an engineering journal for the day. Like, he's not in his quarters just, like, hanging out reading all day or something. Oh, you want to know why? Because that's not funny. No, no, because you already forgot about while all of this is happening, and Bang is fishing, which is out fishing, and we forgot about that. So, yeah, he's got his doctor friend that he was meeting up with, whatever, but at least we know what he was doing, right? We just didn't hear what Hammer was up to at all, which I think is a little odd, but whatever. Probably had his hand in the and was just chilling. It's it's hard to get Hammer here. I mean, I said at the beginning that we've got an A, B, and C plot, but really, we have a D plot, too. The A plot is Spock and T'Pring, the B plot is the diplomacy, the C plot is uh, Una and Lon, and the D plot is Christine. Mm-hmm. Christine sort of weaving through yeah. these plots. So what what I was going to talk about was going to be how much I like that uh, the characters are getting paired off and everyone's getting their, their little plot here. Um, and it made perfect sense that Uhura didn't have a whole lot, neither did the engineer, because they, they had their episode. Like, you know, you get your episode... You get yours, people are getting them in pairs. But what I decided to talk about um, in my in my take of this was what Renzo was saying about the uh, uh, the bucket list, about it being a chance to you know break the rules. The way I look at it is the purpose, the intent of that is not so much breaking the rules, it's to have fun with it to do something that you wouldn't do every day um not so much breaking the rules but to get kind of a adrenaline rush out of out of doing it like yeah i i, I don't i didn't put sitting in the captain's chair on the list because it was breaking the rules it was because ooh, i got the heebie-jeebies go go sit on the chair 
you know, you go do that, whew, done. Going outside on, on the whole. It's not about breaking the rules, it's you're you're outside, not in a suit, with a freaking shield bubble. That that is you know, it's the adrenaline rush. Um and that's how I took the, the list was it was supposed to be fun, something to occupy your time, and also just yeah. I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't quite see it as a break the rules list. It was just a do, do this. You're right. Do the stuff that you can't do on a day to day basis. Not you know stuff you're not allowed to do or that you don't do. Skydiving. No skydiving could be on the list. You're, you're not breaking any rules. You're going skydiving. Um, reflavoring chewing gum. Okay, that's. That's cool. Sure, I didn't think frivolous use of the transport. Though. I didn't think you could do that. Well, yeah, maybe, but yeah, I, I didn't think you could do that. That was kind of that was kind of cool. Like, huh? Yeah, it worked. Um, shooting each other with phasers. With phasers. Yeah, that's fun. You don't know what that's going to feel like. You probably never voluntarily been shot with a phaser, but you you know what? I can see I can see that appeal because I can totally imagine. It. You know what's on my bucket list? Get tased. Yeah. I just one time. I just want to. Yes, it's on everyone's bucket list. I'm going to get tased. It just sucks. to know what it does it really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but see, that's the thing is, it would be that that one thing. You, you just want to know. Okay, what does it feel like? I'm going to do it once. I'll never do it again. Which Renzo sounds like you had the curiosity, got it filled. You're good. <laughs> that's what that is. Right. Exactly. That's what that is. That's a bucket list. You didn't break any rules. It was just. Hey, I want to do the thing. And... I just want to know why it wasn't an actual bingo sheet, right? Like, you got to get three in a row or four in a row or whatever and yell out bingo. Like, that's the way bingo works or whatever. Why not I, bingo? I, I do. I, yeah, I think that I'd like to see the reasoning behind the, with the writers choosing to not call it a bucket list. We would have accepted bucket list just as much as Enterprise Bingo. Bingo didn't survive. Come on, Stick, I'm not doing it. Sticking uh, with it. You threw me back in the lake. I'm not biting story, it again. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so I want to make a couple quick call-outs for just, like, incredible acting things. Yeah, go ahead. So something I learned four episodes into the show is that the actress for Chapel, Jess Bush, she's Australian. Yeah. Yes. Her accent yeah. is perfect. I yep. can't tell that she's not American through and through in every scene. I spend a lot of time with Australians because my guild in WoW has a couple of them. So I yeah. hear their accents and I hear their attempts to sound not Australian all the time. They can't do it. But dude, Jeff listen to... pulls it off. Carl Urban, Christian Bale, um, the dude that plays uh, House. Um, what's his name? He's British, though. Right. Well, it's Hugh it's Lari. amazing to see... Yeah, Hugh Lari. I guess... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Hugh Laurie. It's amazing to see how easy it is to pull off that that American accent. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm it's like it's, it's a great job. It's it's and how how is that? It's it's flawless. How how's an Australian, it, and, uh, British, uh, Welsh, you name it, they can turn that on like a switch and sound just like you and me. Because they can hear them in a in the interview or like the. Uh, the DVD commentary, like, what the, who is that? Oh my god. Because to the rest of the world, Americans just sound like assholes, so they just like, my asshole voice. 
say boo, right. but then go watch House. Tell me he doesn't sound like an American with an asshole complex. No, he's just an asshole. He's not inherently American at all. <laughs> uh, but no. So there's that that I thought was really cool, and I think her character is growing, developing. We've had more development for the character of Christine Chapel in five episodes of SMW than did in everything 79 else. 79 episodes of TOS, yeah. Well, and the but, movies, too. Yep. But. And Voyager. She was an episode of Voyager, too. Right? So it, it's great there. I really like what they're doing uh, with Ortegas. It's no. Like, no, um, you're Was thinking of Rand? Human Rand. Okay, same yeah. actor. Yeah. Anyways, no, Rand, Rand was... Or is it Rand who was the other one? Rand, Rand was, was played Grace by... Grace Lee Whitney. Right, right, okay. Grace Lee Whitney and uh, Nurse Chapel. Where did we see Chapel again? Because I know we see her again after. So uh, motion picture. Chapel she was, was doctor. number one, and she was... Rita Barrett was number one. Chapel, the voice of the computer... And then the next time we see Chapel is in, motion picture. Yeah, uh, she was a doctor. Motion picture. Is she actually in the motion picture? Yes. Yeah. I found a picture of it. Because the next time, remember when Chekhov got got zapped and he got electrocuted on his arms, and Nurse Chapel, yeah, Doctor Chapel, like, at that point came in with the spray. I was right. We do see her after that. We see her in Starfleet headquarters as a commander. Yeoman Rand. Yeah. No, where we see. Christine Chapel is a commander at Starfleet headquarters in Star Trek 4. Yes, no, that's Rand. I knew it's Star Trek 4. Oh, right? so we see her oh you mean... Okay, Star Trek 4. I yeah, thought you, you said Star Trek 3. Yeah, as no, a commander, yes. she's probably authorizing medical supplies across the planet as the probe is wreaking havoc on the environment. Yeah. 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 All right. Anyways, overall, I think this episode is great. I love it. You've heard us gush about it for the last oh, hour yeah. and a half, so I don't think mm -hmm. that there's much doubt there. But I'm with you guys. I think this is one. This is probably my favorite episode of the Kurtzman era of Trek. It's this or Wedge Dooge, honestly. They're both so good. So. Wedge oh, I want that shirt so bad. It's great. Absolutely great. And uh, as much as we want to continue gushing over this, it's bedtime. So. Oh, yeah, got that. To the audience and the viewers, so happy that you could join us for this. Thank you. And uh, always remember to go boldly with Beyond Trek Podcast. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to our Patreon and Anchor supporters. Big thanks to Stephanie Baker, S. Tam, Anne-Marie, Jim Cook, and Nora Hickson. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for being a part of Beyond Trek Podcast. We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.